0: Section 4 of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. Great Navigators of the Eighteenth Century by Jules Verne. First part, chapter two, part one: Captain Cook's Predecessors. One b badly situated and badly sheltered. Port Desire offered the further inconvenience that only brackish water could be procured there. Not a trace of inhabitants was to be found long stay in this place being useless and dangerous barwin started in search of Pepys island on the twenty fifth the position of this island was most uncertain haley placed it eighty degrees east of the continent cowley the only person who asserted that he had seen it declared it was about forty seven degrees latitude south but did not fix its longitude here then was an interesting problem to solve after having explored to the north to the south and to the east byron satisfied that this island was imaginary set sail for the sibaldines in haste to reach the first possible port where he could obtain food and water of which he had pressing need a storm overtook him, during which the waves were so terrific that Barron declared he had never seen them equaled, even when he doubled Cape Horn with Admiral Anson. This danger surmounted. He recognized Cape Virgin, which forms the northern entrance to the Straits of Magellan. As soon as the vessels neared the shore, the sailors distinguished a crowd of men on horseback who set up a white tent and signed to them to land curious to see these patagonians about whom preceding navigators had so disagreed byron landed with a strong detachment of armed soldiers he found nearly five hundred men most of them on horseback of gigantic stature and looking like monsters in human shape Their bodies were painted in the most hideous manner, their faces traced with various colored lines, their eyes encircled with blue, black, or red, so that they had the appearance of wearing enormous spectacles. Almost all were naked, with the exception of a skin thrown over their shoulders, the wool inside, and a few of them wore boots. Truly a singular costume, primitive and not expensive with them were numbers of dogs and of very small horses excessively ugly but not the less extremely swift the women rode on horseback like the man without stirrups and all galloped on the shore although it was covered with immense stones and very slippery the interview was friendly byron distributed numbers of toys ribbons glass trinkets and tobacco to the crowd of giants as soon as he had brought the dauphin to the wind byron entered the straits of magellan with the tide it was not his intention to cross it but merely to find a safe and commodious harbor where he might secure wood and water before starting in his search for the Falkland Islands. On leaving the second outlet, he met with St. Elizabeth, St. Bartholomew, and St. George Islands, and Sandy Point. Near the last he found a delicious country, springs, woods, fields covered with flowers, which shed an exquisite perfume in the air. The country was swarming with hundreds of birds, of which one species received the name of the Painted Goose, from the exceeding brilliancy of its plumage. But nowhere could a spot be found where the ship's boat could approach without extreme danger. The water was shallow everywhere, and the breakers were heavy. Fish of many kinds, more especially mullets, geese, snipe, teal, and other birds of excellent flavor were caught and killed by the crew baron was obliged to continue his voyage to port famine which he reached on the twenty seventh of december we were sheltered from all winds he says with the exception of the southeast which rarely blows and no damage could accrue to vessels which might be driven on shore in the bay because of the profound calm that prevails wood enough floated near the shore to stock a thousand vessels so we had no need to go and cut it in the forests the river sedger ran at the bottom of the bay the water of which is excellent its banks are planted with large and beautiful trees excellent for masts parrots and birds of brilliant plumage throng the branches abundance reigned in famine port during byron's stay as soon as his crew were completely recovered from their fatigue and the ships well provisioned, the Commodore, on the 5th of January, 1765, resumed his search for the Falkland Islands. Seven days later he discovered a land in which he fancied he recognized the islands of Sebald de Wert, but upon nearing them he found that what he had taken for three islands was in reality but one, which extended far south. He had no remaining doubt that he had found the group marked upon the charts of the time as New Ireland, fifty-one degrees south latitude, and sixty-three degrees thirty-two minutes west longitude. First of all, Byron steered clear of them, fearing to be thrown upon a coast with which he was unacquainted and after this summary bearing a detachment was selected to skirt the coast as closely as possible and look for a safe and Commodious Harbour, which was soon met with. It received the name of Port Egmont in honour of Earl Egmont, First Lord of the Admiralty. I did not expect, says Barron, that it would be possible to find so good a harbour. The depth was excellent the supply of water easy, and all the ships of England might be anchored there in shelter from winds. Geese, ducks, and teal abounded to such an extent that the sailors were tired of eating them. Want of wood was general, with the exception of some trunks of trees which floated by the shore, and which were apparently brought here from the Strait of Magellan." the wild sorrel and celery both excellent anti-scorbutics were to be found in abundance sea-cows and seals as well as penguins were so numerous that it was impossible to walk upon the strand without seeing them rush away in herds animals resembling wolves but more like foxes in shape with the exception of their height and tails several times attacked the sailors, who had great difficulty in defending themselves. It would be no easy task to guess how they came here, distant as the country is from any other continent, by at least a hundred leagues, or to imagine where they found shelter in a country barren of vegetation, producing only rushes, sword-grass, and not a single tree. The account of this portion of Byron's voyage, in Didot's biography, is a tissue of errors. The flotilla, says Mr. Alfred de Lucas, became entangled in the Straits of Magellan, and was forced to put into a bay near Port Famine, which was named Port Egmont. A singular mistake, which proves how lightly the articles of this important collection were sometimes written. Byron took possession of Port Egmont and the adjacent isles, called Falkland, in the name of the King of England. Cowley had named them Peppers Islands, but in all probability the first discoverer was Captain Davis in 1592. Two years later Sir Richard Hawkins found land which was thought to be the same and named it virginia in honor of his queen elizabeth lastly vessels from st malo visited this group and no doubt it was owing to this fact that fraser called them the malouine islands after having named a number of rocks islets and capes byron left port egmont on the twenty seventh of january and set sail for port desire which he reached nine days later. There he found the Florida, a transport vessel which had brought from England the provisions and necessary appliances for his long journey. But this anchorage was too dangerous. The Florida and the Tamar were in too bad a condition to be equal to the long operation of transshipment. Byron, therefore, sent one of his petty officers— who had a thorough knowledge of the Strait of Magellan, on board the Florida, and with his two consorts set sail for Port Famine. He met with a French ship so many times in the Straits that it appeared as if she were bent upon the same course as himself. Upon returning to England, he ascertained that she was the Aigle, Captain Monsieur de Bougainville, who was coasting Patagonia in search of the wood needed by the French colony in the Falkland Islands. During the various excursions in the Straits, the English expedition received several visits from the inhabitants of Tierra del Fuego. "'I have never seen such wretched beings,' says Byron. "'They were entirely naked, with the exception of a skin thrown across the shoulders.' They offered me the bows and arrows with which they were armed in exchange for beads, necklaces, and other trifles. Their arrows, which were two feet long, were made of cane and pointed with greenish stone. The bows were three feet long and were furnished with catgut for strings. Their nourishment consisted of certain fruits, mussels, and the remains of putrid fish. THROWN UPON THE BEACH DURING THE STORMS. PIGS ONLY COULD HAVE RELISHED THEIR FOOD. IT CONSISTED OF LARGE PIECES OF WHALE, ALREADY PUTREFIED, THE ODOR OF WHICH IMPREGNATED THE AIR FOR SOME DISTANCE. ONE OF THEM TORE THE CARRION IN PIECES WITH HIS TEETH, AND HANDED THE BITS TO HIS COMPANIONS, WHO DEVOURED THEM WITH THE voracity OF WILD BEASTS. Several of these miserable beings decided to come on board. Wishing to give them a pleasant reception, one of my petty officers played the violin, and the sailors danced. This delighted them. Anxious to show their appreciation, one of their number hastened to his pirogue, small boat, and returned with a little bag of wolfskin containing a red ointment, with which he rubbed the face of the violinist. He was anxious to pay me the same attention but i drew back he then tried every means of overcoming my delicacy and i had great difficulty in avoiding the mark of esteem he was so anxious to give me it will not be out of place here to record the opinion held by byron an experienced seaman upon the advantages and disadvantages offered to the passage through the straits of magellan he does not agree with the majority of navigators who have visited these latitudes he says our account of the difficulties and dangers we encountered may lead to the idea that it is not prudent to attempt this passage and that ships leaving europe for the southern seas should prefer to double cape horn there is one season in the year when not only one ship but an entire fleet might safely cross the straits and to profit by this season one should enter them in the month of december one inestimable advantage which should weigh with all navigators is that celery scurvy grass fruits and other anti-scorbutic vegetables abound such obstacles as we encountered and which delayed us from the seventeenth of february till the eighth of april in the straits were mainly due to the equinoctial season a season which is invariably stormy and which more than once tried our patience until the twenty sixth of april the day upon which they found masafuero belonging to the juan fernandez group byron had sailed to the northwest he hastened to disembark several sailors who after obtaining water and wood chased wild goats which they found better flavored than venison in england during their stay in this port a singular fact occurred a violent surf broke over the shore and prevented the shore boats from reaching the strand although he was provided with a life belt one of the sailors who could not swim refused to jump into the sea to reach the boat threatened with being left alone on the island he still persistently refused to venture when one of his companions cleverly encircled his waist with a cord in which he had made a running knot and one end of which was made fast to the boat when he reached the vessel hawksworth's narrative relates that the unfortunate fellow had swallowed so much water that he appeared lifeless he was accordingly hung up by the heels whereupon he soon regained his senses and the next day was completely restored but in spite of this truly wonderful recovery we can hardly venture to recommend this course of treatment to human rescue societies Leaving Massafuero, Byron changed his route with the intention of seeking Davis Land, now known as Easter Island, which was placed by geographers in 27 degrees 30 minutes, a hundred leagues westward of the American coast. Eight days were devoted to this search. Having found nothing after this cruise, which he was unable to prolong, Byron, following his intention of visiting the Solomon group, steered for the northwest. Upon the twenty-second of May, scurvy broke out on board the vessels and quickly made alarming havoc. Fortunately, land was perceived from the lookout on the seventh of June in a hundred and forty degrees fifty-eight minutes west longitude. Next day the fleet neared two islands, which presented an attractive appearance. Large bushy trees, shrubs, and groves were seen, and a number of natives who hastened to the shore and lighted fires. Byron sent a boat in search of anchorage. It returned without having found the requisite depth at a cable's length from shore the unfortunate victims of scurvy who had crawled on to the forecastle cast looks of sorrowful longing at the fertile islands which held the remedy for their sufferings and which nature placed beyond their reach the narrative says they saw the cocoa trees in abundance laden with fruit the milk of which is probably the most powerful anti-scorbutic in the world they had reason for supposing that limes bananas and other tropical fruits abounded and to add to their torments they saw the shells of tortoises floating on the shore all these delights which would have restored them to vigour were no more attainable than if they had been separated by half the globe but the sight of them increased the misery of their privations Byron was anxious to curtail the tantalizing misery of his unfortunate crew, and giving the name of Disappointment Islands to the group, he set sail once more on the 8th of June. The very next day he found a new land, long, flat, covered with coconut trees. In its midst was a lake with a little islet, this feature alone was indicative of the madreporic formation of the soil simple deposit which was not yet but which in time would become an island the boat sent to sound met in every direction with a coast as steep as a wall meanwhile the natives made hostile demonstrations two men entered the boat one stole the sailor's waistcoat Another put out his hand for the quartermaster's cocked hat, but not knowing how to deal with it, pulled it towards him instead of lifting it up, which gave the quartermaster an opportunity of interfering with his intention. Two large pirogues, each manned by thirty paddlers, showed an intention of attacking the vessels, but the latter immediately chased them. Just as they were running ashore, a struggle ensued and the english all but overwhelmed by numbers were forced to use their arms three or four natives were killed the next day the sailors and such of the sick as could leave their hammocks landed the natives intimidated by the lesson they had received in the evening remained in concealment whilst the english picked coconuts and gathered anti-scorbutic plants these timely refreshments were so useful that in a few days there was not a sick man on board. Parrots, rarely beautiful and tame doves, and several kinds of unknown birds composed the fauna of the island, which received the name of King George. That which was discovered afterwards was called Prince of Wales Island. All these lands belonged to the Pomont group, which is also known as the Low Islands, a very suitable name for this archipelago. On the 21st again, a new chain of islands, surrounded by breakers, was sighted. Byron did not attempt a thorough investigation of these, as to do so he would have incurred risks out of proportion to the benefit to be gained. He called them the Dangerous Islands six days later duke of york island was discovered the english found no inhabitants but carried off two hundred coconuts which appeared to them of inestimable value a little farther in latitude one degree eighteen minutes south longitude one hundred seventy three degrees forty six minutes west a desert island received the name of byron It was situated eastward of the Gilbert group. The heat was overwhelming, and the sailors, weakened by their long voyage and want of proper food, in addition to the putrid water they had been forced to drink, were almost all attacked by dysentery. At length, on the 28th of July, Byron joyfully recognized Saipan and Tinian Islands, which formed part of the Marianne or Ladrone Islands, and he prepared to anchor in the very spot where Lord Anson had cast anchor with the centurion. Tents were immediately prepared for the sufferers from scurvy. Almost all the sailors had been attacked by this terrible disease. Many even had been at the point of death, the captain undertook to explore the dense wood which extended to the very edge of the shore in search of the lovely country so enthusiastically described in the account written by lord anson's chaplain how far were these enchanting descriptions from the truth impenetrable forests met him on every side overgrown plants briars and tangled shrubs at every step caught and tore his clothes at the same time the explorers were attacked and stung by clouds of mosquitoes game was scarce and wild the water detestable the roadstead was never more dangerous than at this season the halt was made therefore under unfortunate auspices still in the end limes bitter oranges coconuts Breadfruits, guavas and others were found but although these productions were beneficial to the invalids who were shortly restored to vigor the malarious atmosphere caused such violent fever that two sailors succumbed to it in addition the rain fell unceasingly and the heat was overpowering byron says that he never experienced such terrific heat even in his visits to the coast of Guinea, the East Indies, or St. Thomas Island, which is immediately below the equator, fowls and wild pigs, which weighed about two hundred weight each, were easily procurable, but had to be eaten immediately, as in less than an hour, decomposition took place. Lastly, the fish caught upon this shore was so unwholesome that even those who ate it in moderation became dangerously ill and risked their lives after a stay of nine weeks the two ships amply provisioned left the port of tinian Byron continued his route to the north and after having passed Anatacan island already discovered by anson he hoped to meet the northeast monsoon before reaching the Bashi's which formed the extreme north of the philippines upon the twenty second he perceived grafton island the most northerly of this group and upon the third of november he arrived at timoan which had been mentioned by dampier as a favorable place for procuring provisions the natives however who are of malay descent refused the offer of hatchets knives and iron instruments in exchange for fowls they demanded rupees finally they accepted some handkerchiefs in payment of a dozen fowls a goat and its kid fortunately fish was abundant as it would have been impossible to procure fresh victuals byron set sail once more on the seventh november passed paolo condor at a distance stopped at paolo taia where he encountered a vessel bearing dutch colors but which was manned entirely by malays reaching sumatra he explored the coast and cast anchor at batavia the principal seat of dutch power in the east indies on the twentieth november at this time there were more than one hundred ships, large and small, in this roadstead. So flourishing was the trade of the East India Company at this epoch. The town was at the height of its prosperity. Its large and open thoroughfares, its admirable canals, bordered by pine trees, its regular buildings, singularly recalled the cities of the Netherlands portuguese chinese english dutch persians moors and malays mixed in the streets and transacted business fete receptions gaieties of every kind impressed newcomers with a high idea of the prosperity of the town and contributed to make their stay a pleasant one The sole drawback, and it was a serious one to cruise after so long a voyage, was the unhealthiness of the locality, where endemic fevers abound. Byron, being aware of this, hurried the embarkation of his provisions and set sail after an interval of twelve days. Short as their stay had been, it had been too long. The fleet had scarcely reached the strait of the Sound, before a malignant fever broke out among the crew disabling half their number and ending in the death of three sailors after forty-eight days navigation byron perceived the coast of africa and cast anchor three days later in table bay cape town furnished all that he could require provisions water medicines were all shipped with a rapidity which sufficiently indicated their anxiety in return and once more the prow of the vessel was directed homewards two incidents occurred on the passage across the atlantic thus described by byron off st helena in fine weather and with a favourable wind the vessel then at a considerable distance from land received a shock which was as severe as if she had struck on a rock its violence so alarmed us that we all ran to the bridge our fears were dissipated when we saw the sea tinged with blood to a great distance we concluded that we had come in contact with a whale or a grampus and that our ship had apparently received no damage which was true a few days later however the tamar was found to be in such a dilapidated state such grave injuries were discovered in her rudder that it was necessary to invent something to replace it and to enable her to reach the antilles it being too great a risk to allow her to continue her voyage upon the ninth of may seventeen sixty six the dauphin anchored in the downs after a voyage round the world which had lasted for twenty-three months. This was the most fortunate of all the circumnavigation voyages undertaken by the English. Up to this date, no purely scientific voyage had been attempted. If it was less fruitful of results than had been anticipated, the fault lay not so much with the captain as with the lords of the admiralty, they were not sufficiently accurate in their instructions, and had not taken the trouble, as was done in later voyages, of sending special professors of the various branches of science with the expedition. Full justice, however, was paid to Byron. The title of admiral was conferred on him, and an important command in the East Indies was entrusted to him but we have no interest in the latter part of his life which ended in seventeen eighty six and to that therefore we need not allude end of section four reading by malone